Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. You've seen the signs, haven't you? Perhaps a better question is, how could you miss them? You've seen the signs driving down the highway that look like this. They, they put out the statement, after you die, you will meet God. Call 855 for truth. Similar signs, just as serious, but posed as a question. Maybe a bit of a frightening question for some. Read like this, where are you going? Heaven or hell? Dial 855 for truth. Some aren't so serious and what they make up for with, well, lacking any seriousness or or fright, well, they bring up with, they make up for with mockery. This one, what part of thou shalt not didn't you understand? God. By the way, It's not a quote that God ever said. Others, not as serious, but somewhat sarcastic. This one, to all of our atheist friends, thank God you're wrong. You've seen the signs, right? I've seen them when I drive down the highway on road trips. But whenever I do, I ask myself, Do they work? Do the signs work to help people know more about the gospel? Do the signs actually do what I think, or at least I hope they're intended to do, and that is help people see Jesus, see the love that Christ has for them? I mean, do they work? Do you think that the unchurched person driving down the highway on a road trip, jamming to their favorite tunes, sees a sign about the end of their life, about eternally, eternity, and they hit pause on the radio, they grab their phone and they call their church friends to tell them they want to read the Bible with them and talk about eternity. Do you think it helps Christians who have atheists, friends, and family members when there's mocking, sarcastic jabs put out on the highway to go and well, have conversations with them and, and let them know that Jesus, yes, loves them. Makes me wonder, what is the best way? What is the best way to show people that Jesus died for them, that eternity matters, but eternity with Christ is theirs because, well, if you see Jesus, you see you have life in him. In the lessons that we read this morning, Jesus not only shows his unending, undeserved love for all people, but Jesus gives his disciples, John and Andrew, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, and you and me, he gives his disciples a masterclass in how Jesus wants his disciples to see him, how he gets his disciples to see him, and how we can show Jesus to others. 
Interestingly enough, the way that Jesus gets his disciples to see him, to see who he is, is first by helping us to see ourselves. How does he do that? Well, it could be put on a billboard. It sounds something like this. Come and see. Come and see is what Jesus says to his disciples. Jesus' disciples says to others, but come and see what? That's what we're going to unpack this morning, is that when Jesus says, come and see, he's saying three things. Here they are. First, when Jesus says, come and see, what he's inviting you, what he's telling you is to come and see your identity made known to you. And you look at that and you say, wow, that question, that question timelessly asked throughout history by all people, a question about identity, that's pretty good. If Jesus says, come and see and shows you that, but Jesus says, you're going to see even greater things than that. Come and see even greater things than that, number two. And number three, come and see even greater things still than that. Yes, what are those greater things? Well, I can't give away everything at the beginning of the sermon. So let's get into it. The first thing that Jesus says that he's inviting us and telling us that he wants us to come and see is our identity made known. It starts like this. You recall that in John's gospel, John the apostle is walking us through the first consecutive days of Jesus' ministry. He called disciples to himself, first John and Andrew, then they go and find Peter. And then in our lesson for today, it begins with Jesus calling Philip. Finding Philip, Jesus said to him, follow me. And remarkably, enthusiastically, Philip does just that. But then Philip goes and and reaches out to his friend named Nathaniel, and we meet the first skeptic in Jesus' ministry. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Come and see, said Philip. And what unfolds is Jesus making quite the first impression on Nathaniel. Long before Nathaniel even got close enough for Philip to make the introduction, Philip, meet Jesus, Jesus, meet Nathaniel. Jesus points at Nathanael and says, here is a true Israelite. Here is someone in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael asks a second very good question. He said, how do you know me? To which Jesus responds, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip even called you. Can you imagine Nathaniel's mind racing at this point? Nathaniel's mind racing, wondering how this stranger was able to do and say what he just said. And then it hits him. If he just saw me before Philip even called me, did he also see what I said about him? Could he hear what I said about him? How I dissed him and his hometown and Nazareth and and wondered who he was. And if he could see me 
back when I was under the fig tree, and I wonder if he saw me there, does he know anything else? What else does he know about me? Does he know my thoughts? Does, does he know who I am? You can sense it, can't you? Nathaniel is exposed. He, he's feeling vulnerable because there, in front of a stranger and everyone who is listening, Jesus points out exactly who he is. You think about that. It's quite sobering when we realize that Jesus knows us just like he knows Nathaniel. He knows everything about us. We are fully known by him. He knows what we think. He knows what we do. He knows the sins that we do in the privacy of our own home, our bedroom, our car, our office. What's more, Jesus definitely knows inside your heart, inside your mind, and the jealousy, the anger, the arrogance that lives there. You and I, we are fully known by Jesus. And yet, just like Nathaniel, we are fully loved by him. Did you hear what Jesus said to Nathaniel as he approached? He said, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Wow. Jesus says the same thing about you. When Jesus says, and tells you to come and see, and come and see that your identity is made known to you, what he wants you to know is this truth, that you are not who you think you are. You are not who you tell yourself you are or the world tells you who you are. You are not who you are based on what you've done, but you are who you are based on Christ and who he is and based on what he has done. That is who you are. You are not a public sinner. You are not a private sinner. You are not the ashamed voices that you tell to yourself. You are not the black sheep of your family. You are the one for whom the Lamb of God came to take away the sin of the world. That is who you are. When Jesus said, come and see, what he is saying to you is that your identity, who you are, it's made known in Christ. And he made that known to Nathaniel. You might say, okay, Matt, he made that known to Nathaniel, but how does he do that for me? It's a one-time event, right? He just did that for Nathan. No, you see, when you look in scripture and turn back just a few verses, that this is the way Christ looks at you and looks at his disciples again and again. In just the verses prior, listen to how he meets Peter. This is what the text says. Jesus called Andrew and John. And then the first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. There's no, how are you? How's your family? What do you do? It's just, 
you are Simon, I'm gonna call you Cephas, which means Peter, and both of those mean rock. Think about that. Jesus meets him, and before he even opens his mouth, he calls him and tells him exactly who he is. He not only revealed his identity to Peter, he made Peter's identity. And think about when this is. This is way before Peter acted like a strong rock-like figure. Way before he took a stand and boldly proclaimed the gospel to 3,000 people on Pentecost. This is way before Peter boldly jumped out of a boat on wind and waves and said, Lord, tell me to walk to you. This is way before any of that. In fact, this is before Peter acted like a rock in all the worst ways. He slept like a rock when Jesus said, Peter, please pray with me. This is, well, when Peter cracked like a rock, when people asked him if he even knew Jesus, it was before all of that that Jesus came and called him who he was. You see, Peter didn't do anything to deserve his name, anything to earn his name, but Christ called him and told him, this is who you are. You are mine. You are the rock. Come and see. Jesus is inviting you to see your identity made known in him. He does it for Nathaniel. He does it for Peter. He does it for you and me when he calls sinners saints, when he calls enemies sons and daughters and heirs to eternal life. He does it for you and me when he calls you my beloved. I don't know if you're anything like me, you read scripture, you, you hear all those wonderful names and, and we could keep going, right? That you are a chosen people, a royal nation, a, a holy people, people belonging to God, God's special possession. And you know, yeah, I, I'm God's beloved, but you know, it doesn't take much to forget that. It could just be a dis, disapproving look from, from someone and you don't feel all that special. It could be just an email or a phone call or a name that gets called in an argument and you don't feel beloved. It could be just you doing something you know you shouldn't and you wonder, am I really called the righteousness of God or am I, am I ungodly? You look at who the world tells you that you are, who the world tries to advertise and, and make you to be it's real easy to step back and go, I guess I'm just a sinner after all. But see, it's, it's not because you did A, B, or C. It's not because you didn't do X, Y, or Z that you're called a Christian. It is because of Christ. God speaks and reality results. He says, Peter, your name is Peter. He says, Nathaniel, you are an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And he says the same for you. You are mine. In you, there is only truth. There is only faith. There is only holiness because I have come for you. You want to know your identity, Christ says? He says, look, I am taking my name tag and switching it with your name tag in the waters of your baptism. Wherever you hear my words, whenever you take my sacrament, this is what I give to you. Everything that is mine becomes yours. My righteousness, my holiness, 
my forgiveness, and my name. When Jesus says, come and see, he's inviting you, he's telling you to come and see this, that your identity in Christ is made fully known to you. And that's amazing. That is an amazing thing to have answered one of humanity's timeless questions, to have the search for our identity over and done, and we can rest secure and confidently in exactly who we are. But like God said to Nathaniel, he says to you and to me, oh, you think that's good? I'm gonna show you even greater things than that. What are those greater things? Well, this is the second thing that our God tells us. When he tells you to come and see, he not only tells you that your identity in Christ is made known to you by Christ, but that heaven is open for you. This is what Jesus said to Nathaniel. He said, you will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open. And that's what Nathaniel saw. Nathaniel saw Jesus' ministry. He saw him live a perfect life and do all sorts of miracles, like changing water into wine and, and greater things than that, raising people from the dead. He saw him raise himself up from the dead and he saw the scars in his hands and on his side. And then Nathaniel saw heaven open. And so will you. With your own eyes and, and not another, you will come and see everything that the Lord has given to you in Christ. Heaven open to you. And now you ask, what could possibly be greater than that? And it's true. I don't know if there is anything greater than eternal life given to you, than you knowing that your identity is wrapped in Christ. But perhaps if there was one more thing even greater than that, even greater than seeing heaven open for you, it's seeing heaven open for you and also open to all your friends and family as well. That's the third thing. The third greater thing still that God shows us when he says to come and see. He says, when you say come and see to your friends and family, you get to see there gathered before the Lord's throne every believer from all time, from Adam and Eve to Moses and Abraham to even the disciples, Peter, John, Philip, Nathaniel, and all your friends and family who you share the gospel with. You think about that. What could be greater than that? You pause and think, how is it that all of those believers, how is it that you and me got to come and see our identity made known in Christ, heaven opened for us? Well, it's because someone came to you and said what Jesus said to his first disciples. They said, come and see, and they did it this way. They did it through a personal invitation, and they did it through a persistent invitation as well. There's a lot we could say about evangelism and a lot that we could say about evangelism from this section of God's word. But I wanna show you this, that we get to say even greater things still when we come and we say to our friends and family, come and see through personal invitation and, and secondly, through a persistent invitation. 
This past week, I was thinking about these highway signs, and then I was at a stoplight with one that I often see. Take a look. This is just outside of Fredericksburg, just south. There was a sign there, and while I was at the stoplight, I took a picture, worried about coronavirus. Will you have peace with God? Christ is risen. I've never called one of those signs before. But this week, I, I did. I, I went to peacewithgod.net, filled in the little form. I didn't say much. I just said, I saw your sign. And then I got a reply. I got an auto reply with a huge list of links that I could click on to go and do this and submit to Christ in this way and do X, Y, and Z and then make this decision and then fill out this form to let them know that I've decided to do this. And all of these things overwhelmed. And then I got what must have been a personal letter, or maybe not, from a volunteer named Tom. Tom wrote me a letter, and it was very long. There were several paragraphs, and, and each one he asked me if I've truly decided to commit to Christ, if I've really done it this time in my life. And there, as I sat preparing for my sermon at my desk with my Bible opened next to me, Tom asked me in the final paragraph, you ever wonder why you feel so distant from God? Not really personal, is it? Maybe signs work for some people. Maybe, maybe signs or I'm sure there's a hundred other ways that, that people have actually come to see that Jesus loves them. But there's no perhaps greater way than through the personal invitation of a friend. Oftentimes we make it out to be evangelism, something really difficult and scary. We think we have to have these really powerful arguments for Christ and proofs for Christ, or we need to get really personal and browbeat them and say, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you'd be? Do you know that your sins separate you from God? You look at Philip, you look at Philip and how he interacted with Nathaniel, and he, he did nothing of the sort. Philip came and he invited him to come and see Jesus. And Nathaniel had a question. Really? What good can come from Nazareth? And how did Philip respond? How dare you question me? No. <laughs> Philip just said, come and see. Think about that. We can't twist anybody's arm. We can't argue anybody into seeing how much Jesus loves them. We can only do what Philip did. We must do nothing more and nothing less than what Philip did. Come and see. You think about in your life how that would look. Say, look, I know things have been crazy this past year, even this first month. It's been wild. It's hard on me. I feel overwhelmed. But, you know, I know my identity is in Christ. And I know that heaven's open for me. Can you come and see what that's like for you? Your friends, your family, maybe a neighbor tells you that, that life's hard, parenting's hard. Maybe their marriage is, is falling apart. Say, come and see. Come and see what it's like. I know what it's like for me that when my spouse and I, we find our identity in Christ, we know heaven's open for us. 
Come and see what it could do for your marriage, what it could do for, for your parenting. Come and see what, what it could do for your stress, your anxiety, your depression. Come and see. You think about those signs. We see tons of signs for, for restaurants. Imagine if you saw one for a, a foreign style of cuisine, something maybe you tried before, something that you, you don't particularly like, but a new restaurant has opened up. How likely are you driving down the road to take a hard left and, and go straight to the restaurant? Not very likely at all, are you? But if a friend comes to you and tells you about that restaurant and says, come and see, I found the best tacos in all of Fredericksburg, you might say, oh yeah, what good can come from one more taco? But they follow it up. They tell you, they'd say, come and see, just, just try it. How likely would you be then? If that kind of invitation, that, that personal invitation can, can make a difference for tacos in a restaurant, think about the difference that it could make for someone's eternity, to come and see heaven open for them and here on earth, see their identity completely known in Christ. But I get it. It's not always that easy. It's not always as easy as Philip and Nathaniel and Jesus made it see. Sometimes friends and family, they can reject our personal invitation. That's why you need to be persistent, like Andrew. Did you catch it? Andrew started out the first thing after he saw Jesus, the first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah that is the Christ. Andrew said, I have seen my identity in him. I have seen heaven open through him. I want to do nothing else but show him to my brother Simon Peter. How did Peter respond? Well, Scripture doesn't tell us exactly what Peter said to Andrew. We know he eventually did go to Jesus. But imagine for a moment, maybe a reaction that oftentimes Christians get. We know Peter was a kind of talk first, think later kind of guy, bold, take the action. His brother comes and says, I found the Christ, the promised Messiah. Peter goes, sure you did. Andrew, no prophet has spoken or pointed to him for 300 years and you're telling me that you found him? Okay, Andrew. What did Andrew do? He didn't give up. He didn't get dejected and put his head down and walk away. What we know is this, that he said, we found the Messiah that is the Christ. And then Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. I don't know if he promised him Starbucks on the way or lunch afterwards, but he brought the big burly fisherman to Jesus. Think about how easily we often give up. We give a personal invitation to someone. They're busy or they have something going on or, or maybe it's just not the right time. And that's it. One and done. No persistence. The section shows us is that evangelism, the, the inviting people to come and see Jesus, it, it requires not only a personal invitation, but a persistent invitation as well. Like Andrew. Like the persistent fisherman. Have you heard about him? 
maybe know one just like him. They get up every morning, they head out on the lake, they cast and they cast and they catch nothing. They swap out different reels, they swap out different bait, they use all sorts of different things, they try different spots, but they keep catching nothing. Persistent fisherman, you've heard about him, he goes out again and again and again. I heard this one story of one who, again, went out just like any other day, caught nothing, brought his tackle, brought his gear back into the boat, started rowing back into the shore, and the fish jumped into his boat. Excitedly, he put it on his line, took it up to the cabin, showed his wife, who without batting an eye, looked at him and said, well, it's a good thing you were persistent. If you stayed in the cottage, you would have had nothing. You think about that. Think about that applied towards sharing Jesus, telling people to come and see Jesus. If you stayed inside, you'd have nothing. God blesses persistent efforts, just like God blessed the persistent efforts of the disciples and, and many other Christians. Disciple Andrew, he, he's a unique character. He's unique. He's the first one called and often recognized to be Christ's first disciple. But after that, you don't hear much of Andrew. He's the kind of guy who, when he introduces himself, he says, I'm Andrew, I'm Peter's brother. And they're like, oh, that, that Andrew. He's only mentioned three times of, of having any real dialogue here in John chapter 1. Again, in John chapter 6, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, Andrew demonstrates a great faith. He says, you know, I, I think here's five loaves. I, Jesus, I think you can do something with it. In John chapter 12, a group of people come and say, hey, we want to see Jesus. And you can almost feel the excitement. They come to, John, they come to Andrew and Philip and, and they show them Christ. But that's it. He's not there, one of the three, when Jesus raises Jairus' daughter. He's not on the Mount of Transfiguration. He doesn't have any books of the Bible that he wrote or are named after him. Not like his brother Peter. And yet every time you see him, here's the disciple who's saying, come and see. Come and see Jesus. Past couple weeks, thinking about Andrew, thinking about Peter through the lens of Andrew's persistent and personal invitation. You watch Peter's ministry unfold, a much more famous and much more prominent disciple. And you think what it must have been like for Andrew to come and see not only his identity found in Christ, not only heaven open for him, but all of that for his brother. What it must have been like for Andrew to come and see Peter stand before 3,000 plus other people on that first Pentecost as Peter boldly points people to their identity in Christ, to heaven open for them in Christ. What it was like for Andrew to come and see heaven open for many others as well. All because Christ said to him, come and see Andrew, come and see my disciples. Your identity found in me, heaven open for you. Come and see heaven open for many others through you, pointing people to me, telling people that they are beloved. Amen.